leap from the spaceship in the sky to the simulation in the mind. Let's all embark on another journey of Conversations on the Fringe. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh, and welcome to the Red Pill Project's Conversations on the Fringe. This is the fun night. This is where we we put politics and the the geopolitical situation and global conspiracy, the the take over the world and depot. We put all that to the side tonight, and we kind of sit back, we relax, and we talk about those other types of conspiracies, like consciousness. The mind, reality, um, God, existence, um, you know, extraterrestrial life, interdimensionality, simulation theory. We talk about everything and anything really under the sun. And this is kind of like my favorite night of the week. Uh, this is the night where I gave up volume, boss. What's wrong with my volume? What's wrong with my volume? Is my volume okay? Is my volume loud enough? My volume is maxed out over here. I can actually increase it a little bit. Uh, can I get a 5.5 five on that volume? Let me know, guys. I know there's a discrepancy between the intro and this. Okay. But anyways, this is kind of like I gave up my Friday nights of going out and partying and going to the bars to sit here and drink whiskey with you guys. And yes, I got my holiday cheer. I got my holiday glass. <laughs> and that is a Manhattan that I'm drinking. But... Yeah, so tonight we uh, we discussed everything and anything under the sun, and the title tonight is kind of Open Lines and Fringe Conversations, and what I wanted to do here is we're going to open this up to you guys. I think we probably will, might have a few people. I've already talked to a few people who potentially will join, um, but I want to set the tone with a video. It's about 10 minutes long, but trust me, it's well worth it, um, but this is going to, I think, set the tone for the conversation tonight. Now, if you do want to join me, if you want to come on in here on Fringe, on camera, and you want to jump in here, or if you want to call in, um, I can't monitor all the chats. I can't monitor Rumble and Pill and all this stuff at the same time. Um, if you do want to, one of the best ways to do that is to DM me right now on Social Red Pill, and uh, we'll see about getting you in. Um, if you are on Facebook, YouTube, or DLive, if you put it in those chats, I can see them directly. The rumble is not tied in. Um, but if you guys want to, and watch the video first, because this is what the conversation is going to be. And I think it's specific. Next week, I think we're going to do uh, a few different shows. I think me and David Whitehead might do a Christmas special, potentially. Um, and then I had a few people um, that I wanted to invite on, potentially Saturday night. I think that's Christmas Eve and do a, a Christmas show. And so uh, I put the word out there. There's a, a, um, a pastor that's on our, our, our uh, platform. He used to have a show on our channel. Um, I would like to get him on because I think he's a good dude, and I think he, he has a good perspective on Christianity and Jesus and how Christmas formulates around that. I would like to invite a few other people that have other aspects of opinions towards Christmas as well and bring them on and kind of just have a discussion and have fun with it. So that might be next weekend. But tonight, we're going to be talking about this one topic. Uh, it's not one topic. It's, it's a lot of topics. So I'm going to go ahead and play this video. If you guys do want to join in, please put it in the chat or message me. Um, I do have my phone right here. I can send the links out, but you will be joining with video. If you do want to call in, I can give the call-in number. Uh, I just have to make a few minor adjustments. But let's check this video out, and I'll be right back. Okay, that was the intro. That wasn't the video. <laughs> here we go. 
tonight's talk is consciousness, creativity, and the brain. And um, if you have a golf ball-sized consciousness, when you read a book, you'll have a golf ball-sized understanding. When you look out, a golf ball-sized awareness. And when you wake up in the morning, a golf ball-sized wakefulness. But if you could expand that consciousness, then you read the book, more understanding. You look out, more awareness. And when you wake up, more wakefulness. It's consciousness. And there's an ocean of pure, vibrant consciousness inside each one of us. And it's right at the source and base of mind, right at the source of thought, and it's also at the source of all matter. There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particle of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Matter seems like a good place to begin. The solidity of the world seems totally indisputable. As a fixed thing that you can see and touch, your body is also reassuringly solid. But beginning with Einstein, modern physics has assured us that this solidity is a mirage. All of physical matter, everything we have around us, is the result of a frequency. And what that also means is that if you amplify the frequency, the structure of the matter will change. What this self-contained system is a hologram, what's what I call the super hologram. Everything within it is an expression of that hologram. Uh, this is the, one of the great um, characteristics of a hologram is that every part of a holographic picture is a smaller version of the whole. It's as if reality is so connected that no, when you look at one small part, you can see things about other parts, that the entire whole is contained in the part. And in a sense, you can't divide reality up because we're cutting up a hologram. We can't find where one particle is because it's always a reflection of all particles. In a hologram, the whole pattern is whole and complete unto itself and if you were to take any little portion of this hole out and examine it closely, you will see the entire pattern repeating itself again and again and again. Anywhere in this pattern, if we were to change one little aspect on any one of these little holograms, that change would be reflected throughout the entire system. Quantum physics has revealed what ancient masters knew. Matter does not exist. The concept of substance arose from the philosophy of Aristotle. And from that concept came science's conception of matter. The fact of the matter is that the substance of the universe is consciousness. Belief that the substance of the universe is matter leads to what I call a fear-greed dichotomy as people in their quiet desperation attempt to accumulate as many material uh, uh, possessions and riches as possible. 
In fact, the substance of the universe is consciousness. Therefore, it is behavior that is important. If you um, get into the realms of fear, fear is a very slow, dense vibrational state. And the more you, you, you embody fear, and the whole of this manipulated society is globally, is structured to make us fear, to make us have stress, to make us worry about tomorrow, uh, and have guilt about yesterday, um, and forget about now. It brings us into a, a slow, vibrating, dense state. We should be very careful about what we believe about the future. The more you attach to a belief system, the more, if reality is holographic, you're helping create it by believing it. And you know, the great clairvoyant Edgar Cayce said that our every thought, that reality is built out of thought, and our every thought starts to build reality, and we're like, every thought is like a spider, we're like spider spinning web, and that web starts to build and build. Information. Um, is the key because this matrix um, this illusory reality that we think is real people say to me what is the matrix answer it's information information creates fractals uh, as information flow increases the number of fractals mathematically speaking increase this was demonstrated by a mathematician named Theodore Gordon. Fractals are unpredictable functions, so things are becoming more and more unpredictable. When you start getting into um, fractals and chaos theory, when you look at it in terms of a society, this is where it, it starts to cross over into the so-called Illuminati or the negative elite, the world leaders, with their philosophy of order out of chaos. There is some truth to that, in the sense that when the system becomes highly destabilized, there will be random shifts that suddenly self-organize into higher complexity. At the subatomic level, reality behaves in accordance with the expectation of the observer or the measurer, the scientist. Why is that remarkable? Because everything in the universe is composed of those subatomic particles. These atoms are particles that are whirling at lightning speeds around huge empty spaces. And the particles aren't material objects. They are fluctuations of energy and information in a huge void of energy and information. And what the science now is showing is that when you can change the field that the atom is in, you change the atom. And we're made of those atoms. So when we have feelings in our hearts, we're changing the field uh, that connects the stuff everything is made of. And we literally are altering our physical reality. Once you establish the reality we live in, and the nature of what the physical body is, its biological computer, and the nature of what we are, which is consciousness. And then you start, as I have, um, looking at the way this world is structured and how it works and why they do this and why they do that. It suddenly brings into uh, crystal clarity why the world is structured as it is. Because, you know, people look through their eyes and they think, this is the world. But it isn't. It's a tiny, tiny frequency range within an infinite energy field of infinite frequency ranges. And basically, it's like a holographic television channel. It is the act of consciousness that actually creates the building block that the universe is made of. I can't imagine a universe that exists without us because it's the act of us observing the world around us that is creating allowing us to create as we go in a participatory universe. We may never find 
the edge of our universe as we're looking to define what, what this universe looks like. We may never find the smallest particle uh, in, in the quantum world to see what this stuff is that we're made out of. And the reason is because everywhere we look, everywhere that consciousness explores with the expectation that something will be there, that exploration, that act of looking, observation, is the act to create something for us to see. That we are actually building this universe as we go. Consciousness is the programming language of the universe. We are consciousness conductors, that's what we do, that's who we are. Mm. Consciousness comes through us, it emanates from us. We are the creators, uh, we are the ones who are targeted on this planet because we are the ones who transmit the reality just like everybody else does. If you switch your brain off and you are sucked into the, the mainstream media illusion, we must understand that we are being used because we create reality. So if we are manipulated in a certain way and if we are modulated in a certain way, then our creation becomes not ours but somebody else's. And what happens if we all do it? Everyone in this room decides to take control of reality. I'm talking about reality, I'm talking about quantum physics, I'm talking about taking control of things from the quantum level up, from the molecular level up, and it works. One of the things we're actually dealing with is some, as I say, some kind of operating system that can be hacked using words. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down, and around and around, it has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud and it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered and they come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid ever because this is just a ride. All right, now. Most of us think that Was when that not awesome? <laughs> that is probably one of my all time favorite videos to watch. Because what it does is it, it, it takes things and puts them in the perspective. It, it looks at everything that's going on in this world right now and brings us back to this point of reality to truly understand what is happening, why it's happening, um, what we can do to take back control, how, how we are in control of our own lives. This, that, that short little 10 minute video discussed a plethora of topics and I wrote some of them down here and we can talk about this. Um, what I would like is we have the discussion going in the various chats. I can pull up, uh, I can pull up another chat as well. Um, we got the pilled crowd. Uh, we got some rumble chat going on. We got the pilled chat going on looking good in there. And my thoughts are is that if someone wants to come in and talk about this, I, I can bring you in. You can join up with me in here. Um, you can ask questions. We can do it in the chat as well. If there is questions, I ask my mods to, uh, to kind of relay that. Um, we got YouTube D Live and Facebook down here uh, in the observable universe. We, I got Rumble up and Pilled. If there's uh, questions that come about in there, I can bring them up as well. So... Let's think about this. Let, let's start here, I think, is that Nikola Tesla, um, who, who was a savant in many different degrees, this man had more than a photographic memory. 
he could go and take an experiment. Um, he could build whatever it was within his mind and see every single component in action. He could run st test, uh, stress tests within his mind for hours upon hours and watch the breakdown of how all those operate. So when you start looking at the power of the mind, you start to realize that it's much, much greater and that many of us are are limiting ourselves in that capacity. Nikola Tesla also said is that the secret to the universe is frequency, energy, and vibration. Now, this is one of the biggest problems that I've had with the modern scientific community. And I do believe that there's a, a scientific conspiracy out there that our science has been hijacked to a very, very large degree. And I think most of that hijacking came about in the late uh, 19th century, early 20th century. And Einstein is a big part of that. Not that I'm a, a relatively relativity denier. I believe that uh, relatively, relativity itself is incomplete and missing a lot of its components. Um, and maybe that's a good place to start. So in the late 19th century, the state of physics was that they had everything figured out. They knew everything there was to know about the universe. Newtonian physics was a few hundred years old by this time. Um, and, and really, they were starting to utilize these fundamental forces and such in, in a way that they could manipulate society and progress society. Electricity was still in its early days. Um, then a gentleman by the name of J.J. Thompson came out. And this is kind of how we'll transition into Tesla and what he said and why he said what he said and what he actually discovered because I, that was like a lot of my original study in the late 1990s was on Nikola Tesla. But J.J. Thompson is actually the man who founded what we can call today as the electron. So the electron in the atomic structure um, is not what you're taught in school. It's, it's, it's interesting because out of everybody who's ever talked about the electron from the time of J.J. Thompson to modern day in scientific theory, none of them, none of them, not even Niels Bohr, communicated the electron as an actual particle. But today, modern physics perceives the electron as a particle. And they utilize this in a descriptive format to really explain what's happening. And I'll explain to you what's happening, at least from my perspective. But J.J. Thompson, when he discovered the electron, instead of calling it a particle, which he said absolutely it was not a particle, but instead a field of potential, almost as if, the field itself was being displaced and the residualness, the, the, the inner exchange of energy between the displaced field is what was being created in the electron field. And this is one of the parts that I've actually developed within optimization theory. Okay, um, now we go to the standard model. Obviously, Niels Bohr, he develops this very simplistic model of the electron with the proton at the center. There's some various different things that happen to bring those about. But black body radiation, uh, Max Planck, all these types of things. But we get, Ein or we get Einstein that comes out there after what's known as the Michelson and Morley experiment. Now, the Michelson and Morley experiment went out there to basically validate or disprove what's known as a lumispherous ether. Um, so this physics idea in the 19th century believed that everything moved through a field of potential. 
and that this field of propagation was known as the ether. So when J.J. Thompson said the electron looks like a field of potential that is displacing the primary field, the primer field, this is the ether that he was actually talking about. Um, when we go to James Clerk Maxwell, who gave us our modern theory on electromagnetism, he has three very, very popular equations out there um, on electromagnetism. Well, there's a fourth mathematical equation that scientists today don't even understand. The reason they don't understand it in its complexity is because it deals with the propagation of these waves through an ether. Okay. Michelson and Morley came out and they basically wanted to prove that the ether exists. And they, they decided that if we live in an ether, there's got to be some sort of drag that occurs in the direction of motion of the planet. So if the planet's moving around the sun, there's got to be some type of drag that occurs. And that drag should be measurable on the planet. Now, I know flat earthers utilize the Michelson-Morley experiment to basically say that the earth is flat, non-moving, non-rotating mass. Um, this is completely absurd because it was actually proven in 1996 with the positioning of geo-positioning satellites above earth and the drag that they experienced. Um, and these corrections were made to the... To the uh, these corrections were made uh, to the satellites, but they also claimed that it wasn't from an ether. They claimed it was from uh, cosmic rays. Absolute garbage. But Michelson-Morley basically failed at their experiment, and this is actually what prompted Einstein to go out there and develop special relativity theory and understanding um, an expansion upon the Newtonian laws of gravity in that gravity was this fundamental force that was actually being produced by this field known as space-time that was warping because of mass. Now, the perspective is, is wrong in the sense of how you perceive it. But really what Einstein was saying is that space and time was no different than the ether, except he removed all the properties. So he took all the properties out of the ether and then basically said it had no properties, but it's a field, it's invisible, it has nothing, but it can get warped and produce gravity. How would that make sense? I don't know. I've been doing this for a very long time, and I'll debate gravity with anybody. Um, it doesn't really work that way. But we don't need to know what it is or how it's caused to understand how it works, to understand the, the mathematics of it. And that's the beautiful thing. That's why we have our modern world. At the same time Einstein was coming out with these theories, a guy by the name of Nikola Tesla, a guy by the name of Nikola Tesla was out there, and, and he was developing some very, very radical theories on electromagnetism, what electromagnetism really was. And, I mean, this guy was not classically trained. He, he didn't utilize mathematics. He didn't use, utilize, um, you know, engineering equations. He, he built things within his mind. Um, he is the reason that you have uh, the, the staterless DC motor that revolutionized uh, DC propagation for Edison um, in the late 1900s, early 20th century. He's the reason why you have three-phase electricity, why everything in your house right now is operating the way it's operating. It, it, on a DC circuit, none of this stuff could actually work like this. But Nikola Tesla understand, understood that you could modify a DC motor and produce what we know as alternating current. And so think about DC and AC. And so I don't know if anybody's ever explained this to you, but you have what's known as direct current and alternating current. Now think about it as a rope, okay? Direct current is basically the rope end goes from here to here 
and then the rope end is gone, right? So the rope extends from here to here, from point to point, and it's a direct connection, and then it's gone, okay? So you have to continuously have a rope being propagated out of your source in order to maintain and sustain a rope, okay? Alternating current is think about that rope locked between two points and just moving back and forth, okay? That's alternating current. And so it's taking that same stream of energy and basically just moving it back and forth like this. Now, what that does is it has the same exact effect on a load, on something that's going to take electrical energy as a DC um, current moving through it. So there you go. Is This is what Tesla understood and this is what Tesla designed. Now, obviously, we get into the whole JP Morgan thing and everything like that. I don't want to go that route. But what I will mention, mention is... Um, it was, man, I want, to, I want to say it's Edison, but it wasn't Edison. It was, uh, oh, man. But anyways, Jay Steinmetz is the, the guy who is an absolute uh, genius who came in and reverse engineered Tesla's AC motor. And this is actually, he is the reason why we actually have this today, Tesla's motor. Um, not because Tesla didn't give it up. It was because nobody understood how Tesla actually designed it. Um, and this is Steinmetz came about, basically reverse engineered it, figured out how it worked, mapped out the engineering schematics, mapped out the electrical circuitry and how all everything was all working. And he's the one that actually rebuilt this technology and allowed Westinghouse, that's it, Westinghouse to basically start putting this out. And this is what they utilized, obviously, in Niagara Falls. Okay. But this is where Tesla begins to take a fringe perspective. Tesla began to understand that electricity that we were seeing was not a prime effect. That there was something else going on to produce what we know of as electricity. That something else was happening and this, the secondary effect of this something else was producing electricity. Now, now think about that for a minute, because we look at electromagnetism as this primary force in nature. But what Tesla was trying to show us and tell us is that electromagnetism is actually this secondarily induced force that comes about through the propagation of something else. And this is where he coined that term is if you want to understand the universe, think in the terms of three, six, nine and energy, frequency, and vibration. Now, I know a lot of people have went and taken um, 369 from Tesla and attributed that to a man by the name of Marco Rodin who came out with what's known as a Rodin cycle. This is where you have the nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and it does the little shape and you have the, the, the Rodin transformers and all these things. Um, that is not what Nikola Tesla was discussing or talking about, even though that is now attached to Nikola Tesla when he said 369. The importance of 369 in pertainment to Nikola Tesla You have to look into his journals. You have to look into his writings to really, truly understand this because he never gave it out, but he did hint towards it. And let me see if I can pull up um, something that shows you this. And if someone can guess, that would be pretty sweet. If someone can guess what I'm talking about here, that'd be pretty sweet. This is actually how um, Marco Rodin 
came out and brought about his understanding of a rodent cycle. Let me see up there. Oh, that's beautiful. And so, um, is that it? Is it, uh, it? Yeah, they're all reversed. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. Has anybody ever seen this? Does anybody know what that is? That is something known as the solfeggio. All right. Now, what is the solfeggio? This is actually what Nikola Tesla was talking about when he was representing 369. So the solfeggio, and I'll read this from Wikipedia because it's going to do a way better, better job explaining it than me. Um, in music, a solfeggio, solfeggio, also called a sofa, a sofa, a sofeo, among many names, is a music education method used to teach oral skills, pitch, slight reading in the Western music. Solfeggio is a form of solemnization through which two terms are sometimes used interchangeably. Uh, so basically look at sol solfeggio is various fixed frequencies that are in harmonic nature. This is kind of how I perceive it. Harmonic nature with uh, harmonic nature with nature, right? That they have a certain resonance with nature. Um, the original solfeggio frequencies, if you want to talk about it like that. Now, the original solfeggio frequencies were discovered by Plato and taught within the ancient mystery schools. Now, looking at this chart, we see here, we get 396 or 369, 417 or 714, 528 or 825, 639, 714, 825, 963, 174, and 285. These are the various frequencies. And I know people have, have tried to attribute 432 in there. You have to look at the circle of fifths to understand where 432 actually fits into this. But what you get here is you get, if this is nine, 369 or 396 is nine, then you get 639 is three, and then four, five, and six is 963. And so what you notice about the solfeggio frequencies is at the points of 369, they become interchangeable. 639, nine, uh, 963, and 396. They use all the same numbers over and over and over again. And, and this has developed the idea of what's known as casting out nines in, in mathematics or going to root derivation. And nine is a very, very sacred as well as interesting number when it pertains to the universe. And Tesla knew this. And, and a lot of what Tesla built was done in threes. So Tesla, before he would go inside of his apartment at the New Yorker, he would walk around the block three times. Tesla would wash his hands. He would wipe it with three different napkins. Um, Tesla always did everything in threes. He was kind of a hypochondriac, but he was obsessed with the number three, six, and nine. Now, why is that? Is because there's a level of importance in the sense of harmonic relations of how 369 corroborates directly to the nature or the fractal nature of reality or the patternization of what our reality is actually defined in. And we see this reminiscent within multiple different um, mathematical expressions and mathematical constants that the number three becomes very, very pertinent within them. Um, pi, for instance, is 3.14159265, right? Um, so the solfeggio frequencies, Tesla 
rediscover it and realizes that they have a harmonic relationship with nature and that when you resonate at various octaves within those frequency ranges, whether it's extremely low frequency, high frequency, um, or even um, you know, uh, super high frequency, H, uh, SHF, these types of things, is that various effects begin to manifest within reality. These types of effects that manifest in reality are kind of what a guy by the name of John Hutchinson in the 1990s discovered. Now, John Hutchinson was a, uh, a kind of like a self-trained electrical engineer, Canadian, who went out and bought a whole bunch of electrical equipment, old U.S. Navy electrical equipment, um, and, and had it shipped to his house and basically created a whole bunch of experiments in his house by the intertwining of, of various types of, uh, kind of intertwining various types of frequencies, putting these frequencies together. The problem with John Hutchinson's work is that a few years later, he went again after the government came and confiscated all this stuff to replicate the experiments with utilizing the same frequency variations, but it didn't happen. And there's a reason why it didn't happen. But let's go here. I'm just going to show you kind of a quick video here of John Hutchinson. I've seen levitation of steel, steel ball bearings, glass, where they will levitate. Unbelievable. I've seen electricity go right into the objects and a million pieces just fly apart. In fact, using only 75 watts of energy, enough for a small light bulb, Hutchison made a 60-pound cannonball rise off the table. It would also fuse dissimilar materials, heat metal but not burn the wood it sat on, shatter metal as well as change its crystalline structure. This was something to write home about beginning of 1980, experimenting with all the electromagnetics and uh, electrostatic equipments I had at the time, I started to notice some very, very unusual effects, such as a room being filled, filled up very quickly with multicolored lights, steel bars sitting on wood and not causing any fires, metal turning to jelly, things levitating, and jumping off to the ceiling, or simply go up, hover, and then fall back down. Dubbed by some as the poltergeist machine, there is no one machine, just a lot of old army surplus gear, randomly tuned by John. No one knows how it works. John has apparently figured out the right combination of radio waves and electrical energy to create the effect. If it could be proven, its impact would be huge. You'd have to rewrite most of the science textbooks. Okay, especially and you're absolutely right. Is if you wanted to replicate it, you'd have to rewrite most of the scientific textbooks. Now, John Hutchinson, what he was doing, and what things that I think that he didn't realize was actually happening, is he was taking multi waveforms, and so he was using um, super high frequency, um, high frequency ELF. So basically, he was doing it at a very, very low power outage, right? But he would have two amplifiers that would send a wave down to this area. And when these two waves would create, they would create a dissonant wave in contrast to what it was interacting with. So, for instance, is if you have a bar of metal, okay, the bar of metal has various um, ionic bonds or covalent bonds that are holding it together in the molecular level. Now, if we understand what Tesla said is everything is frequency, vibration, and energy, then those bonds themselves are nothing but vibratory energy. And if we know that they're vibratory energy, it doesn't matter at what rate they are oscillating at. It only means that we have to match that oscillation 
to get some type of effect. And this is what he was doing is he was producing this dissonant frequency, this dissonant waveform to basically disrupt those molecular bonds of that metal that break it apart. But then you ask yourself is what was going on with the bowling ball? Well, the thing is, is we know a lot more about kind of matter and how matter actually interacts with the gravitational field. We know something known as the Higgs field. I mean, I'm glad they call it the Higgs boson, but it's really the Higgs field. It's a field that permeates all of reality, which gives rise to what we know of as matter. Now, I think what John was actually doing is he was producing a dissonant effect that basically replicated or resonated in opposition to that field. This is why you had anti-gravitation. This is why you had things at a very, very low wattage rising up in the air and levitating. And if you increase the, the actual output, what would happen is they would have accelerated at mass velocities. So... Hutchison was actually on this discovery path of recreating what Tesla was trying to tell us and already knew. Then you can get into Edley Scallon and Coral Castle and that type of stuff. I've gone through all that. But let's get to the point here because what we're really talking about is, is consciousness. Now, in talking about this, is the one interesting thing about even all the fringe scientists is they don't define energy. None of them define energy. Now, isn't that interesting that if you go to a modern definition, the definition of energy, right? What do you see? And I'll, I'll even pull this up and show you. Energy, the capacity for work or vigorous activity, exertion of vigor or power, vitality and ex uh, intensity of expression. Well, that, that doesn't seem to make much sense. It, let's see what physics says energy is right and this is from thermal engineering we can go in here the term energy is a very very broad and has many definitions technically energy is a scalar physical quantity that is associated with a state of one or more objects energy is generally defined as the potential to do work or produce heat sometimes it is like currency for performing work you must have energy to accomplish this to do one kilojoule work you must expend one kilojoule of energy it must be added. This interpretation can be misleading because energy is not necessarily available to do work. One of the most wonderful properties of the universe is that energy can be transformed. This is the law of conservation of energy. Okay, here's the thing. Take that idea of what they just said in fundamental thermodynamics and apply it to what Einstein was talking about. Energy is equivalent to mass times the speed of life squared. So Einstein is taking a physical substrate with a velocity and acceleration and saying that energy is equivalent to that. But we can also say that mass itself is equivalent to that energy. Now, we're looking at this in a scalar phenomenon, in the sense of a one-directional magnitude of which energy is this exhaust or expenditure. But that's truly not the case because when we start getting down into the fundamentals of quantum physics, we begin to learn that energy is what we can look at in the definition of quantum physics. That at a Planck's length, and Max Planck actually discovered this, at a Planck's length, okay, what Max Planck discovered is that energy is transferred at minute quantities, is that it packages it up 
before it transfers it from one point to the other. And he calls these packages quanta. Okay? The question is, is what's being packaged up? At a Planck's length, 10 to the negative 32 meters. What's being packaged up? What is formulating that quanta? Well, they say that's, that's photonic energy. It's photons. So are photons the fundamental base of energy? So now you start to understand why that definition of energy doesn't really make sense, especially with objects that have no mass but yet contain energy. So Tesla perceived that the fundamental basis of the universe is energy, that there is something that is permeating all of existence, a field that exists, and this field is what we can consider to be energy. And this is what produces and puts things, all things, into motion. So when Tesla says, do you understand the universe, you have to understand frequency, energy, and vibration, okay? There's two parts of that. Frequency, okay, which is a measure of the oscillation, the change over time, one over T. Okay, frequency, and then also oscillation, or resonation. So frequency, energy, um, that's not what it is. He said, uh, the, to understand the universe, you know, I'd say frequency, energy, and oscillation. But anyways, uh, Tesla, when he was looking at this, he understood that everything in the universe is vibrating, okay? Well, what does it mean by vibrating? A vibration is an oscillation, okay? It's kind of like you can look at it in the sense of a state of things that is moving in various degrees away from its center by an internal or external energy source, right? Now, we also have something in physics known as oscillation. And an oscillation um, is kind of what your light bulbs are doing right now, is that your light bulbs are not a continuous stream of energy. There's a frequency that goes in there. What I mean by that is there's a stream of energy that has a positive and a negative stream that comes in there. And that is based upon a time difference that goes in there and hits the, the focal point that produces the energy. What it does is it produces a vibration or an oscillation. Okay, vibration and oscillation are kind of interchangeable um, within that, that load to produce light. Okay, so take a drink. Let's break this down. And I, oh, I wanted to see because I did tell people they could join in. Okay, so Tesla was hinting that energy was this permeating field of all reality. And he never really came out and said it, but I think he understood this in his later years. We begin to see this with the development of various other technologies and the reverse engineering of alien technologies from whistleblowers and these types of things of what this truly meant is that the foundation of reality is energy. That energy is this substrate, this field that makes everything happen but yet we can't define it. And the reason we can't define it in modern science is because they reject that consciousness is the causation of everything. Instead, they look at consciousness as the result of everything. And see, the one thing that we know in this universe that produces something without nothing that 
that initiates motion and action and interaction. The only thing we know in this universe that does this, the only thing that we can sit here and logically and rationally understand right now, if we went to this definition in the sense that the scalar scalar physical quantity is associated with the state of one or more objects generally defined as a potential to do work, what is the only thing in reality that can do work? If the universe is just a static component, if it's just matter, interacting eventually it'll fizzle out this is the the laws of entropy but that's not what we see see energy can be more clearly defined as consciousness the fundamental field of reality is consciousness and it's aware and it understands and it interacts now we can all look at this as this field is what we can call god now, is it participatory or not participatory? I think that there's various echelons of it. I've had various experiences in my life when we look at this field and the interaction with it that you, you have certain overwhelming feelings, right? <laughs> I thought someone was trying to join in. Um, but we have a reality a universe that is interactory in nature. It's dependent upon relationship, okay? Think about this, is if it's fractal in nature, that means that all of our behaviors, our interactions, our, our interactions, all of our, 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 our actions are represented by these fractal patterns. The whole universe is built upon patternization. Think about in mathematics, you know, a, a scientist will tell you that math is the, the, the language of the universe. It's, it's beautiful. It, it just, everything is teeming with math. Absolutely not. Math is a symbolic representation of the patterns of nature created by man. That's what math is. If we met an extraterrestrial species who, who had a different dimensionality, a perspective of view of reality, their math would be completely different because their expressive nature of what the universe was would be different. And so when we start to look at reality itself, what we understand as reality, what's around us right now, is simply patterns repetitious patterns evolving from various fractal orientations, right? And so we're seeing a, a small little glimpse of this. Now, in that video when he said that, I think it was David Icke, he said that what you're looking at is a holographic television channel, right? He said you're looking at a holographic television channel, that you're only seeing 1% of actually what's really there, in an infinite holographic television channel. And I want you to understand kind of how this actually operates. That take that waveform that's going back and forth that we just talked about, okay? Now that waveform has what we can call a phase transition, okay? Is that I can transition that waveform in different phase orientations or degrees away from its center, perpendicular 45, 15 degree angles, okay? Now, one thing we understand is that if we turn, um, we, we can take mo molecules or atomic structures and we can change their phase orientation and guess what happens? They disappear 
from reality. It's not that they disappear. What's actually happening is the way that they refract or reflect light changes. They're still there. You can touch them. But think about that now in the sense of the field orientation. The original field orientation of how that matter actually comes about is if you could take that phase orientation and extend it to there, now this thing actually transitions into a different dimensional level. And so what we begin to see here is that right now in front of us is this infinite holographic fractal universe. It's right there in front of you. It's all happening right there in front of you. But we're only perceiving just a slither of the phase orientation of everything that is, was, and ever will be. And so when we look at a proton or a, an atom or uh, you know, a group of these atoms that come together, what we're actually seeing is a small, minute, little piece of a much, much larger whole. A good example of that is think about it like this. Oh, Klein BMX is leaving. Oh, I wanted to call in, buddy. But think about this. Imagine looking at a house, a massive, think about it, for instance, let's say it's a skyscraper. We're looking at a massive skyscraper, but the only thing that we can see in that skyscraper is one screw. And all the effects that that skyscraper does to the ground, the displacement, the sidewalks around it, the trees, the movement of the air around it. We're trying to figure out what is happening. We're looking at this space where this massive skyscraper is. We're seeing wind go around it, whoosh around it. We're seeing rain drip down off of its sides. We're seeing this displacement within this field around it. And all we can see is the screw. And we're sitting there going, okay, well, this screw is, is making this, this, this field around it. And this is why the rain kind of drips around the field. And, and, and so the, the screw is this big and the, and, and, and the rain starts to drip down thousands of meters above. And this is why, does that make sense? Is this is our modern day scientific theory is that we're trying to explain the skyscraper by looking at the screw. That we're only seeing a small slither of reality and we're trying to encompass and realize the whole thing. And we pull that screw out and we push it back in and we look at its, its shape and we go, oh man, the whole universe is built because of this one little screw. That, that's modern science to me in a nutshell. But so I got a few things up here we can talk about. And if you guys want me to continue on that discussion, let's go ahead. Hope I didn't make Klein BMX mad. Math is racist now. Math is absolutely racist now. I'm going to go to the chats because I, I know I asked you guys if you wanted to do questions or anything like that. You guys could bring them in. We'll also be doing a live experiment. And we can do a live experiment. Um, don't tempt me. <laughs> Klein left. Um, all right. So I kind of set the precedent, right? Is that we're talking about Consciousness, mind, energy, matter, physics, if you want to. Um, I want to see if anybody out there has any specific questions, if they guys want to talk about anything. If not, I can continue on this and we can get deeper into this kind of stuff. And thank you for the donations. I see some coming in uh, from Just Jim there on Pilled. 
and everybody else on DLive and Rumble. You guys are awesome. Um, so McArtist says there are 11 dimensions and we can see four of them. Uh, you know, I, I would agree and disagree. And the reason I say I disagree is because we don't really know. Um, the 11 dimensionality actually was derived from two various physicists and their theories on what's known as superstring theory and the supersymmetry theory. Um, Brian Cox is one of them, and the other one is Dr. Michio Kaku. Um, and, and they have postulated through mathematical expression that there's 11 dimensions folded onto each other, and that the two that are the four that are unfolded, or three that are unfolded, are ours, and then we that one exists inside, encapsulated inside the fourth dimensionality. Um, Maybe that's actually a point right there. Please just keep talking, absolutely. Um, have you ever tried to in the understand what they meant by time is in the fourth dimension? Think about this. Have you ever tried to understand what is meant by time is in the fourth dimension? Right, they can draw out the axis X, Y, Z and then kind of moving through, right? Think about it like this. Is that in a two-dimensional plane, exists within a three-dimensional plane, right? Is that a two-dimensional plane exists within a three-dimensional plane. And so when you enter the third dimension into a two-dimensional world, what do you get? You get a new dimensionality that was not existing in there before and that actually exists there. So my theory, my understanding, is that in a two-dimensional world, the third dimension is actually their time. Does that make sense? Whereas in a fourth dimensional world, in which we're encapsulated in, that in a fourth dimensional world, the fourth dimension becomes our time. And then if you go into a fourth dimensional world, it's going to have its dimensionality of what you exist in, right? But its fifth dimension would be its keeper of time. And I think that the excess dimensionality is what we can kind of consider in the fractal world as kind of like a, 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 a new level of fractal or a new expression of that, that fractal content. Uh, I, I like to talk about it in optimization theory as the, a new point of optimization to where um, the, the system itself scales beyond the original system, scale, uh, system design, that it becomes more um, patternized, it becomes more intelligent, it becomes more complex, right? But when it does, that old system still exists within it. And we have to understand that, that maybe this is what they were actually talking about in the sense of fourth dimensionality. And our fourth dimension is actually really, I think that the fourth dimension is kind of this this. Uh, this other dimensionality that we are encapsulated in and we experience time because of the movement, the resonation, the, the frequency that's actually occurring within that dimension. It's just a theory, but who knows. So Nate asks, what would happen if you open some YouTube channels with a different frequency on each channel? You think things would float? I, 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 what? What would happen if you open some YouTube channels with a different frequency? Um, on each channel, you think things would float. I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. 
But actually, I think the frequency between people is a connection to D4D. And that goes back to the fundamental aspect that we were just talking about, is that consciousness is the fundamental aspect of reality. And so when we talk about the dimensionality of reality, what we're really talking about is extended states of consciousness, is advanced states of consciousness, in the sense of where that two-dimensional world is a two-dimensional expression of what consciousness actually is. The three-dimensional world, that's exactly what we're experiencing right now. And think about this, is that two-dimensional world is that small slither of that phase orientation of the actual conscious structure of the universe. And I, I forgot where it was. I think it was in the Bhagavad Gita or the Upanishads, but that, that God separated himself to understand himself. That, that God fragmented, I think that was the word, fragmented himself so that he could understand himself. And this comes about because of the totality, right? The absolutism. And we can talk about these other concepts as well. Uh, these are just ph philosophical concepts that I've learned throughout my life uh, in the sense that is if you were in a state of all knowing, of all understanding, all comprehension, that you were the master of the universe, that you had become one with, with God, the creator, and you were in this all knowing state. The fact of the matter is, is you know nothing. And the reason you know nothing is because there would be no questions to inquire because you already knew all the answers. And so there's nothing new that can be created. So creation can only come through individuality, can only come through the separation from the whole, or at least that's how I perceive it. Nothing matters. Matter is nothing. I like that. But what is nothing? But what is nothing? Nothing does not exist. Nothing does not exist. Therefore, since nothing has never existed, everything has always existed. Uh, and the, in the after chat the other day, we were actually talking about this and I posed this question and it's a deep philosophical question. And when I think about it, I, it blows my mind. Like my mind goes on fire and just completely goes off the chart in the sense of, of, of what ifs and extrapolation on the idea. And I want to know if it does it for you too, because it's so simple, but you really have to think deeply about the question. And it's this, what is existence? How do we exist right now? Can, can you comprehend the, the mere fact that you're conscious, aware, and exist right now, okay? If you take modern scientific theory, right, that, that the universe kind of came out of this primordial soup and that all of a sudden it, it just expanded and poof, there's the universe and there's billions of them happening. This theory makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's completely illogical, okay? Which brings about the posing of the other theoretical model is that what came before God? And I know how people are going to answer this. And I say, what came before God? 
And the question, the answer is nothing. Nothing could come before God, right? Nothing does not exist. But here's the question. Then, then what is God? How did that even come into being, into conceptualization, into understanding? Just think for a moment that if the fundamental field and substrate of, of the universe is consciousness, okay, that consciousness is an actual thing, then that means that God is all consciousness. God is the field. There's nothing outside that field that we know of. But here's the thing is what brought that into existence? How did that happen? And the answer is, is irrational to us that it never actually happened, that it's always been. And then that goes into the, the whole idea that what is existence? What is consciousness? And I see some people on, um, uh, on Rumble, a vapor, a roar, and, and this is actually um, expressed in Vedic uh, mythology or philo- philosophy, philosophy as the breath of Brahma. And this is where he ushered out the very loud oh in in Christianity or in the Abrahamic religions, this is the logos, right? The sound that's created. God created the word, the word, the sound, right? But what what does that really mean? Do we truly and deeply understand that? It's a question to really postulate. It's a question to kind of dig really deep within your mind. And Patriot of Pisces just posted, from that empty void comes a sound, which is the keynote that creates and maintains the form whence it appears to come. And that's Max Handel. I like that. Let there be light. Some people think that God just said click and flip the light switch. When in actuality, the light was a secondary induced effect of the ohm or of the word of the logos, whatever you want to call it. But I, I like pondering that question. And here's the thing. And this is the be- my light's falling. Whoa, my light's falling. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Is it doesn't matter your spiritual beliefs. It doesn't matter your philosophical or religious beliefs. Is it's one question every human being can come together and understand and really contemplate. Now, for someone who sits there and goes, "Oh well, you know, it, it was it all derived from nothing, and we'll return to nothing, and that's it." I don't think that those people actually have an extrapolative mind that can actually deep dive into that that really conscious thought. That these people don't know themselves or understand themselves to that large degree. And you can see that because they don't take the question seriously. That it, it's not important to them. And for me, that's kind of sad because how can that not be important? Your, your, your whole life is dependent upon the answer to that one question. Or your whole life is, is manifest or, or brought into reality from that one question. So it's interesting, right? Seeing if anybody's messaging me. We're all the people. We're all the beautiful people. All right. So I want to take some questions now because that's kind of what this is about tonight. 
The fact that we even have this innate desire to ponder that question just proves in itself that there is something much greater than we are a part of. But yeah, I agree. But it also goes to prove that there's people that don't ponder that question. Are these just NPCs, non-participatory characters in this reality, in this universe? That maybe we create them to, to not feel so lonely. Maybe uh, we're all a creation in the mind of God so that he didn't feel so lonely. So that he could learn and understand himself that the universe is one big biofeedback mechanism. Feeding information back into itself. Uh, Black Jester 101 said, so we are all just memories. Actually, what you're experiencing right now at this very second, this very moment of your existence is a memory. You are a memory. That's it. Everything that you're experiencing right now is a memory. What you consider consciousness or awareness is actually the first memory that comes about at that point of being. How do we know that? Because everything is processed in a refresh rate known as the speed of light. That all the information coming from your environment comes into your various senses. It comes from your senses and it goes into your body, through your neurological system, into your brain. It's gotta be processed, it's gotta go into the memory banks, it's gotta pull off that stuff, and then it's gotta put it all together and it's gotta show you what it believes is actually happening out there. There is a certain level of delay in that process, whether it's one millionth of a second, one thousandth of a second, I don't know. But that means that your experience of reality is actually delayed. And so if your experience of reality is actually delayed, that means that it's being, you're be, it's, being, it's being projected to you as a memory. Interesting, isn't it? Past, future, present, intertwined. Do you guys, does anybody actually, is anybody out there actually remember the days when this is what we used to do? We used to just come on here and just talk for hours about random different things. Those were the good old days, weren't they? So Zeddy85 asks, so how do you better yourself if we live in the past? It's not necessarily that we live in the past. Is that consciousness is delayed. But here's the thing is, if you were listening to that video, there's one thing that was said in there about hacking reality. And you hack reality with words. Now, isn't that interesting? But also, you hack reality by taking back control of your sensory inputs. See, your senses are like filtering systems for reality. Is that all reality has to be processed through your senses. So ask yourself this question. If you start to reduce or limit senses, what begins to happen to the other faculties of your mind? I got right here. These are my... My earmuffs that I, for, my sh for shooting, I take these into the range with me, but I keep them on my desk. The reason I keep them on my desk is because when I write or I'm researching things, I don't listen to music, I don't do anything. I put these things on. And the reason is, is because it turns off my hearing and that enhances everything else, my other faculties, it increases it increases their, their potency, right? Because think about it in the sense of energy distribution, the law of conservation of energy. If energy is being 
disseminated throughout the entire body to all your various senses, right? And let's say that it's all being distributed out there, then your body's working at a point of optimization. But if I turn one system off and those other systems have more levels of efficiency that can be increased from them, then that energy by shutting that one off gets distributed to those other faculties and they increase their potentiality. This is also another way to expand your mind, to evolve, to learn. And so now let's say that we shut off our hearing. Now shut off all the lights, your sight. What begins to happen is if you sat there with these things on completely silent and then you turned off the lights and it was pitch dark, not one beam of light in that room, do you want to know what would happen to you? Does any, I want to see if anybody understands what would happen. And I want, this will be the experiment for tonight. Find the darkest place that you have in your, in your house, a room with absolutely no windows and no lights coming in. Make it as dark as humanly possible. Put on those earmuffs, walk into that room and keep your eyes open. What happens? Patriot of Pisces says the inner light comes out to play. Actually, you start hallucinating. You start hallucinating. You start seeing things. There is no separation between your eyelids of closing them and not. Your imagination begins to take over. And guess what? Is if you reduce more and more senses, like like, uh, sensory deprivation tanks, the same thing begins to happen. Is that... What you're doing is you're limiting the exposure to the environment, which is not, which now cannot overwhelm your sensory systems, which means that you truly begin the process of being with yourself, of learning and knowing yourself. That is your true state and form. And, and I always ask this question. If I took away your sense of touch, taste, smelling, sight, and hearing, what would be left? Unbridled consciousness. That's what would be left. And in that state, particularly that state, it's an imaginative state that can only be controlled and dominated and mastered by a disciplined mind. And that's why we're thrown into this environment. That's why we're placed into this environment of the world to go out there and master our mental faculties, to go out there and, and learn how to interact with reality. Think about like this for a second. It is let's assume that there is this echelon of spiritual beings that 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 life is one continuous process of of evolution and ascension, evolution and ascension, right? And that we are these souls, and we expand beyond this light to another dimensional level, and then another dimensional level, another dimensional level. We have to understand that at those higher levels of existence, the capacity increases in the sense of our mental capacity, in our spiritual capacity, in our interactions with nature. This means that before you get to those points, before you get to those levels, you'd have to have some type of training. You'd have to have some type of control and discipline over those lower levels because if you've ever done like a DMT trip or an LSD trip, how overwhelmed are you when you go into that state? You're incredibly overwhelmed. Sensory 
overload. And the reason is, is because, and nothing, no offense to anybody, your mind is not trained for that level, that vibration, that phase transition of input. It can't handle it. So instead what happens is your brain produces various scenarios in hallucinogenic form to try to make sense and rationalize what's actually happening. That's hallucinations. So what we're actually talking about here is that in this evolutionary sense, the reason why we're here, the reason what we're doing is to master ourselves, to master our mind, to master the control over our mind, the master, our mental faculties. And the first thing that you have to do before that ever happens is you have to know yourself. You have to come down to that point where you truly find that inner being within you, that inner self. You have to separate all those senses away from yourself and realize what's left over. That's you. That's your being. That's your existence. That's been with you since eternity and will be with you for eternity. And once you begin to realize that and understand that, now you can bring that out into this physical realm and dimension. And you can start adding in various sensory aspects of it. Think about animals and insects and everything like this. They have, relative to us, very degraded sensory programs, right? But like bats, they have heightened auditory senses and very, very limited visual senses. We can say that's because of evolution. What if that was just the lesson that they were learning? They were learning the mastery of their their auditory framework. It makes a lot of sense when you start to think about it. Another one, mental discipline is the key to everything. With good mental discipline, you control your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. I think I've said that before. Okay. Woo. Man, this has been fun. So here's what we're going to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go take a little break. And then we're going to join back up on socialredpill.com. And so we're going to do Fringe After Dark tonight. Everybody's invited. We got 304. Well, yeah, we we can do it. Uh, So we we can figure it out. So we got 347 on Rumble. We got, uh, you know, about 100 on Pilled. Uh, and, and some others out there. We're going to go to Fringe After Dark. Um, if you guys want to join in on Fringe After Dark, we're going to continue this conversation in a live Zoom. And so we're going to have fun. We're going we're gonna to have a few drinks. We're going to talk, and we're going to have a discussion about this. But it's going to be on a live Zoom. The only way to get into it is you have to be a member of socialredpill.com. Don't leave yet because guess what? It's 100% absolutely free to join. Socialredpill.com, just join up. Once you get your profile created, I'm going to put out an email in, uh, not an email, uh, a post on the feed in about, um, it's quarter two, um, in about 20 minutes, and then we can all start joining in. Actually, yeah, we're going to use a different uh, Zoom tonight, and so I will actually post the Zoom. We're going to use a different Zoom tonight because if we get more than 100 people, uh, this Zoom will actually account for, should actually account for that, I think. But um, yeah, so we're going to go to the Zoom and we're going to do Fringe After Dark. It's not going to be on YouTube because we talk about various different topics that obviously cannot go on YouTube. Um, If we get more than the Zoom can handle, we will live stream it. So just FYI, if we get more than the Zoom can handle, we will live stream it and we'll put those links out there. But you got to be on the social red pill. Got to be a member there. Free member. 
you want to support us, that's available too. But a free member, you got to be a free member there to get in on that. So I'm going to go take my break and um, I will see some of you guys here in a little bit. I hope the conversation was good. Don't forget next week we're going to be doing uh, Christmas themes. So we're uh, 23rd and the 24th, obviously. Um, and I hope to see you guys there. So much love, respect. God bless you guys. I hope this is a fun conversation tonight. We're going to continue it on Fringe After Dark. Have a good night.